continue with uh, chapter 10 and uh, hopefully today we may finish it. Self-analysis. The, there was no class last week, um, but the week before, the last topic we did was the poem, The Turkey and the Ant. And we're going to continue thereafter. Anyone, anyone just explain what that uh, poem was about? What was the point it was trying to make? Yeah. yeah. Um, finding it easier to look at Someone's got their mic on, one moment. Okay, let's go ahead. Um, it was look. It was sort of making. It, it was easier to look out at other people's flaws um, and wrongdoings rather than your own. Yeah, perfect. So it talks about the turkey who was cussing human beings for having turkey at Christmas, but at the same time, she was busy eating millions of ants for breakfast. So this is where we continue from. So we're going to start from the paragraph thereafter. Is it Ravi? Are you reading today first? Is it yourself, Ravi? Yes, it is. Yeah. It's um you should therefore refrain from finding flaws. Is that the one? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. So you should therefore refrain from finding flaws in others. Criticizing others' failings behind every flaw you recognize in another, perhaps you have the same more pronounced in you. Do not consume your life merely detecting the blemishes in the outside world. Judge not others, cautioned Lord Jesus. The energy you waste in judging others could as well serve to improve yourself. Moreover, by blaming the vice in others, you miss their virtues. You become involved in negativities and lose the positive side of life. Do not give up the rose for its fawns. You should soon realize the wisdom in the resounding words of Edward Wallace Hock. There is so much good in the worst of us and so much bad in the best of us that it hardly behoves any of us to talk about the rest of us. So he understood the poem perfectly. 
So we tend to live life, as Meghna said, extroverted and find it difficult to be introverted. We must learn not to be concerned with others' fault. We just find our own faults and deal with them. We may have worse faults than others, but we cannot see them. Jesus said, judge not others. So much good in the worst of us, so much bad in the best of us. Hardly behooves any of us to talk about the rest of us. Just be concerned with your own problems, your own faults. It's easier for us to look at others' faults than ours, isn't it? This is the problem. We're not, be, we're not able to be objective to ourselves. Ravi. Every human being needs, therefore, to concentrate his efforts in investigating his own personality. Instead of prying into the lives of others, you have no right to do so. Your business is your life. If others make mistakes, they will have to pay for them. Let them settle their accounts with the Almighty. You seem to be more concerned with the affairs of others than your own. You need to look within. Set your personality right. Just take care of yourself. Care of yourself. The world will take care of us. There's a bit of an echo there. Um, really. I'm not sure if it's uh, a mic or whatever. So you have no business with others. They have to deal with their own problems. You have enough on your own plate to be dealing with. Concentrate on your own personality, controlling your own desires. Other people will have their own issues and they can deal with them. The law of cause and effect works meticulously. You don't need to worry about it. Why do we do that? It's easy for us to look at others. Why do we have to, why do we, why is it so natural for us to do that? Yep, Ravi. In, in some cases, I think it makes you feel better. You know, it's, it's an excuse of, you know, as, as you said, I mean, like reading through this, you, we do tend to concentrate on like, you know, the forms instead of the rows. We look at the negative instead of the positive. And in some cases, it's actually a judgment on your own self-confidence or your own mm -hmm. self-pride as such by taking, looking at other people's flaws, making you feel better, basically. It makes you feel better to look at others' flaws. Some, you know, sometimes it may do. You know, it, it, it's just how you are, you know. Yeah. Anybody else? How, why, why do we? Yeah, Sissy. Um, because we're looking externally and not internally. We're yeah. focusing on the external world. And so we're, that's like um, focusing externally. But if we actually focus internally, we would look at ourselves and not others. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. I think... Um, it's easier to blame other people as well for things and it's 
takes a bit more effort to take self-responsibility for yourself. And yeah, so that's what I think. Yeah, so. Um, relatively, we all want to be happy. And if we look at our flaws, we would then become, I suppose, agitated or unhappy. And therefore we avoid what anything that might cause us agitation or unhappiness. Okay. Yours pretty much right. Yep, Shilavin. Uh, I think we criticize and look at other people's faults. It's because we're looking outwardly and we're looking yep. around us. We can't see our flaws because we don't have our own mirror reflection. So if, we, if there's a mirror and you're making a mistake, it's going to reflect on you, you're going to see it. But yeah. we can't see ourselves. That's why we okay. fault others. Yeah, okay. well you're all sort of right from your own perspective. But the, the main thing is that we all think we're perfect. Don't we? We all think we're perfect. Yes, sure, we can lose a couple of kilos here and there, but generally we all think we're perfect. <laughs> this is the point. It's easy for us to look at others' faults because we all think we're perfect, relatively. Yeah, that's why we, we find it, that's why we don't look within. Also, as you, as you said, it's easier to look outside, criticize. Really, paragraph three. It is a social crime to expect others to behave in the pattern of your like and dislike. You cannot order the lives of people to follow your whim and fancy. The primary lesson you learn in life is that all beings act according to their inherent nature, fastness. Beings follow their own structure of life, but there is one fundamental difference between the structures of humans and other beings. All creatures, save humans, inherit a common nature, the collective vasana of their species. Thus, tigers are ferocious and destructive. Cows are all meek and mild. Each species possesses a collective nature, a distinct set of vasanas. The creatures of a species do not differ from one another, whereas human beings do not possess a common nature, collective vasana. They have different traits and characteristics. No two humans are of the same kind. Every human possesses a distinct, different nature, individualistic vastness. So the next few paragraphs, if you understand them properly, you've changed your world. It's saying people act based on their likes and dislikes. You have your own likes and dislikes. It would be wrong of you to expect people to act based on your likes and dislikes. But this is exactly what is happening. 
You expect people around you to behave based on your standards, the way you think is right. This is the mistake we all make. And who suffers? Who suffers? We set the standard. People don't behave based on how we think it should be. And we suffer. So this paragraph, what it says, that every human acts based on their vasanas. We've already covered this, but every human acts based on their vasanas, their desires, their nature. Their vasanas makes up their personality. They can't help themselves. They have to act upon them. They have their own way of living their lives. Now, when it comes to vasanas, there's a big difference between humans and animals. What's the difference, anyone? Humans and animals, when it comes to vasanas, Damesh. Animals have what they call a collective vasana, so collective traits. So a snake will have a snake trait, whereas humans, we all have individual traits. Perfect. Each species of animal has a collective vasana, collective nature. Sure, there are minor differences. You know, different species of dogs will behave differently, but general, the nature is the same. All cows are meat, eat grass. All tigers are ferocious, eat meat. All monkeys have a certain nature. Snakes have a common nature. Hyenas have a common nature. Rabbits, kitten are sweet and cuddly. Only humans have individual nature. So every human being is different. So this is fundamentally where we go wrong in life. So you may find a hyena in a human being, a cow, a snake in a human being, different traits. Every human has a different personality, different nature, because every human has different vastness. No two human beings are the same. But we expect them to behave like us, our own personality. This is the problem. This is the cause of all issues in life for us. Is that relatively clear? Any questions on that? Very important to understand that. I have a quick question. Um, yeah, So um, you know how we're all born with um, vastness, um, mm -hmm. but don't we agree that um, a lot of um, humans are educated as they grow older? Um, so they get taught different ways. So you know, like racism, when we're born, we're not racist inherently, um, but then people are taught to be racist. Mm -hmm. by the environment and their families yeah now we're at a stage where we're educating people to reasons why we shouldn't be racist yeah without if we were just looking within i know we're not perfect but if we were just looking within we wouldn't be able to create change because we understand that i wouldn't say that was based on vastness that's just education they were educated to become racist yeah. but if we educated them that that's not correct in the way that 
they were educated incorrectly or we're basing it on something which is not arbitrary, which we shouldn't think about. So I guess we should sometimes look outwards and understand that some things are wrong, even though we're not perfect. Yeah. So we're not saying you should, we, see, we look at, we live in this universe, we live in this world. Yeah. So we have to look outwards, but not only look outwards. That's the difference. People only look outwards. They're not, they don't look at the faults within. Do you understand, Drew? Yeah, so, no, I agree we should always look inwards as well. But I'm just saying sometimes you should look outwards because of... If you just, if you just looked inwards, nothing would happen. Nothing would change. It's a balance. Yeah. See, right now, we're all used to looking only outwards. All our problems, all our issues is not with me. It's outside. Something else, external factor is causing that. But we're saying it isn't. It's within. And most people can't identify with that. Yeah. So it's a balance. In fact, um, in the next few paragraphs, we'll, we, we will be talking about that, Drew. Yeah? You'll have a better understanding of um, looking out as well as looking in. Is that okay, Drew? Yeah. Okay. Any other questions? Ravi. Everyone understands clearly the natures of all species except that of humans. Consequently, people are able to conduct themselves perfectly with each species. You know exactly how to relate to a tiger and a cow, a cobra and a kitten, a scorpion and a grasshopper but you fail miserably in your conduct with humans. That is because you do not assess human beings individually. You do not realize that each one's nature is distinct, different from others. Your understanding, behavior, and conduct with humans is alarmingly immature. You commit a colossus blunder when you expect a human to behave different from his particular nature, fastness. You do not seem to understand that each one helplessly expresses one's own temperament, nature, and when they do and conflict with your expectation, you grumble, you complain, and even express your disappointment overtly. All that causes you the stress and strain of life, you suffer. So we understand how a certain species of animal behaves. We're cautious. You won't pat a lion. You'll cuddle a rabbit or a kitten. You won't go near a crowbar. But you're happy to feed a deer. You might play with a monkey. You understand that a cobra might, might bite you, poison you. A lion might take a chunk out of you. But a kitten, kitten will not, so you'd be cautious. Why? Because you know their characteristics, their nature. So you relate to them based on, on that, correct? Does everyone understand that? But when it comes to humans, we make a mistake. This is the issues, all the issues we have in life. When it comes to humans, we're not able to assess because 
everyone has an individual nature. See, if we're good, we expect, we think everyone is good. If we're bad, we think everyone is bad. If we're selfish, we think everyone is selfish. We project our own worlds. And this is the issue. Because everyone is different from you. Lack of assessment. We don't have the capacity to assess individuals. We have the capacity to assess animals, but not human beings. You don't understand every human is different. But from today, you understand everyone acts based on their vastness. Everyone is different. So you have to have a good assessment of individuals when you when you when you when you contact them. You get stressed out, you suffer due to the conflict. We're dealing with our partners, our children, our work colleagues, brothers, sisters. Whose fault is it? Make that whose fault is it? You fight with your sister, whose fault is it? <laughs> Don't say it's my sister's fault. <laughs> Lack of assessment. Can I just add something? Yeah. Any questions? It's, it's quite, it's important that you understand that. So these classes, you know, sometimes it's painful because everything's your fault. <laughs> we never say it's no other people's fault in these classes. Because about self-development, Cyril has something to add. If we're thinking about why it's easier to understand animals, it's because they all look the same. So all cows look the same. All tigers look the same and we know about their collective nature and therefore it's easier to understand that it's okay for me to approach that animal mm -hmm. or not approach it and be cautious and avoid it but human beings is like a we're all like you said different but it's the expectation of thinking that for example, a priest you would expect would be good because he's in a field of mm -hmm. spirituality, for yep. example, or a parent mm -hmm. is a parent and would be expected to look after their children in a particular way. That's the expectation, isn't it? Okay. It's not just about, yeah. Okay, that's what Sittle said. That there's a key word she used in there. Anybody know which word, which, what she used? That was fundamentally flawed. Expectations. Expectations, thank you. You expect, who are you to expect them to be like that? A priest is supposed to be. Yeah, once again, a priest is supposed to be, but is he? This is the problem. 
we expect, we suppose. Who are we to make that judgment? What knowledge do we have to be able to assess people? She's right, a priest is supposed to be in a certain way. But as we've realized recently, they aren't, are they? Everyone is a human being. Just because they wear certain clothing doesn't make them internally the same. Expectations. Don't have any expectations. Just assess the best you can and then live your life. This is the problem. See, we don't have the tools to assess, that's the problem. And that's why we suffer. So here we're learning the tools to assess people's nature. Just understanding that everyone acts differently is a start. Now you look at your partners, you, you look at them with different shades. <laughs> different shades now. Assess. Not to criticize, but to be able to identify. Overlook the negative parts of their personality. They can't, they can't help themselves. Ravi. You understand the nature of all other beings and conduct yourself rightly. You must apply the same principle to humans as well. Recognize the individual natures and let them live their own lives. You then find peace and harmony with humans. Remember, all grumbling is tantamount to, oh, why is the lily not an oak? So we must learn to judge each person you deal with correctly. Understand they're acting based on their nature. They can't help themselves. Next time your partner gets angry, you have an understanding. This is their nature. Those are their vasanas. This is his vasanas. A work colleague is lazy, selfish. It frustrates you, irritates you. But you now understand that this is their vasanas. So you act accordingly with them. They're not going to change. You have to change. So let people behave in their own way, based on their nature. Deal with people accordingly. You see a snake or hyena person, hyena in a person, you avoid them. At work, you see a selfish person, you understand, this is their nature, they're selfish. Relatively to you, they are selfish. There may be someone even more unselfish than you. And this is the issue, we look at others' faults, compared to ours. All grumbling is tantamount to, oh, why is the lily not an oak? What does that mean? What does that mean? All grumbling is tantamount to, oh, why is the lily not an oak? What is a lily? 
A flower. Yeah. What is an oak? A tree. Can a lily be an oak? Tree? No. No. But we want it. That's what we. That's how we look at life, isn't it? These are the problems. Why is Lily not an oak? You want someone to behave against their nature. How is it possible? You set the standard. I want this person to behave in this way. How is it possible? And when they don't, you get upset. You suffer. It's self-inflicted. Crazy if you think about it. Any questions? It's food for four, isn't it? Any conflict now, you look back. And you'll realize it was my fault. I expected this person to be like this. Ravi. Extending this concept further, you must assess not only human beings, but the entire world as well. Your assessment of beings barring humans is perfect. While that of human needs individual attention, you must assess separately those whom you associate with. Further, you must assess your environment, your government, the climate you live in, etc. If you do not make an assessment or make a wrong assessment, then your expectations in life become unreasonable. Unreasonable expectations cause you disappointments, stress, and then you make a thorough assessment of everything you meet in life. There will be no disappointment, no stress. Your life becomes peaceful and happy. So he's saying, besides people, you must also assess your, the environment you live in your community, your country, the climate of the country. Truth, this is, we look externally. You live in a cold country. You constantly moan about the cold. Who suffers? You chose to live in a cold country. You come from Asia to UK, it's colder than India. And then we complain about the cold. Who suffers? We do. Wrong assessment. You go to a hot country on holiday, you complain how hot it is, and you're miserable. Why did you choose to go to a hot country if you don't like the heat? Just examples here, yeah? Every country has its own rules and regulations. You have to follow them. You can't go by your own rules. 
if no assessment or the wrong assessment is made, then you will have the wrong expectations in life and you alone will suffer. So in life, we have to make the right assessment for everything and live accordingly to that. If you apply these principles in life, you'll find living in the world enjoyable. You'll be peaceful. You'll be happy. You see, this is where we say it's all within. Happiness is within. It depends on how you look at the world, how you contact the world, how you relate to the world. Any questions? Oh, yeah, I'll read the next one, yeah. So this, the next paragraph is, uh, just gives an example of an incident. An interesting incident took place in the classroom in India. It should educate you on the importance of assessing the world. It was an extremely hot and humid day in Chennai. The boys were fussing and fuming over the heat. The teacher walked in and noticed the fuss. He quietly walked out the other door and gestured to the boys to come out into the open quadrangle. The boy stood under the blazing sun, wondering why he had brought them out. He suddenly threw up his arms and articulated, isn't this a beautiful summer? The boys thought he was crazy. He, don't, he then brought them back to the classroom and spoke these words of wisdom. Remember, the beauty of the summer is its heat. The beauty of the winter is its biting cold. The beauty of the monsoon is that it must pour and pour. But the problem is that people want the summer to be cool, winter to be warm, monsoon to be dry. Actually, it continues, but it's not in the book. It's supposed to continue, and I remember it from class. It should continue with, the beauty of an African is his dark skin. The beauty of an Englishman is his fair skin. But the African wants to be fair. The Englishman wants to be dark. It's ludicrous. And this is the problems we have in life. The beauty of my wife is her anger. The beauty of my husband is his calmness. See, you recognize their nature and you relate to it. So no, you relate to it. See, a cigarette gives pleasure to one person and displeasure to another. The cigarette is the same. What does that say? What does that mean? Likes and dislikes. Likes and dislikes. You can't stand your husband and you want to divorce him. But there's someone else waiting to marry him. The same husband you can't stand to be in the same room with. 
So it's not the world that disturbs you, but it's how you relate to it. This is the problem in life. The world behaves based on its design and structure. It's not going to behave any differently. People behave based on their vastness. So by gaining knowledge and wisdom, you understand how the world functions, how life functions. You then learn to relate properly. So if you're agitated, unhappy, whose fault is it now? Arunaben, whose fault is it if you're un agitated and unhappy? No? Zamesh? It's yours because you haven't assessed the environment properly or... Not mine. And so, no, yours. I mean, as in, it's my, it's my fault. Perfect. It would be mine because I haven't assessed something properly. Or Perfect. I expect something. Perfect. You said you're thinking, why? It's not my fault. <laughs> you know, I'm taught it properly. So it's my fault for not understanding. Perfect. If you don't assess properly, then you are affected. It is your own fault. You cannot blame anyone else. The minute you understand this concept, you live a calm and peaceful life. A happy life. Any questions? Yeah, Ravi. I, I was just going to say, I mean, when reading this par paragraph, it sort of re-emphasizes the quote, I think, from, I think it was Mahatma Gandhi that quoted and said, if you want to see the change, be the change. So that that's, reflects quite a bit, you know, when you're reading through these paragraphs that unless you change, you ain't going to see anything else change externally. So. Yeah. You expect everything else to change but yourself. It's a bit easier to just to change yourself than expecting everything else to change. See, if you have a toxic situation, you have a choice. You can either stay in it or you can leave. That is your choice. You don't have to tolerate anything. Yeah. Ravi. Just, just a question. Obviously, you know, you when in relationships, sons, partners, and so forth, you look at obviously you say flaws or negatives, and that what you know, if someone's on a sort of self-destruct path or they're going the wrong way, you would inter interject. You, you know, you would advise or and so forth. So is that that's not wrong in doing that? See, it's not wrong in doing it because you care for that person but you cannot be affected if they take it or not. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah? If you give someone advice, don't drink. It's bad for you. It's up to them to take the advice or not. Yeah. That's the difference. But you get affected if they don't take your advice, then that's wrong. They have their vastness, their nature, they have to get through it. Cause and effect works for every human, human being differently based on their past actions. So you can't, you can't change that. Only they can change it. Is that okay, David?
the laws of cause and effect work, work meticulously for each individual. Remember that. Any questions before we move to the next topic? So, practical exercises. So, the next topic, which is to the end of the chapter, talks about, it gives you practical exercises on how to develop your intellect so you can practice assessing the world. He also talks about spiritual practice, how to develop spiritually. So these are all practical exercises. So if you don't have a book, make some notes. If you have a book, then you can read it and make notes afterwards. Meghna, you're gonna read the first paragraph. Thank you. Spiritual practice is subjective. You must go introvert and discover the self within you. You may seek guidance from a spiritual master, but take up his preaching on, his, on its own merits. Do not allow the life and personality of a guru to interfere with his teaching. His life and teaching must be treated separately. Do not mix them up. To live an ideal life is one thing and to be able to explain the way to live that life is quite another. Everybody tries to reason, but few know the science of reasoning. People commit the grave blunder of mixing the personality of a teacher with his teaching. They transfer the personal charm, oft got without merit, to his teaching and become enslaved by him. What does that paragraph say? Anybody? What does that paragraph say? Megna. Is it that we often believe that if people are saying something, then we also believe that they live by those um, rules or that they do that as well? So like practice what you preach sort of situation. Mm -hmm. So we think that mm -hmm. they're exactly what they're saying, but they might not, they might be able to say it, but not live by it themselves. Yeah. Anything else? Anyone else? He's ex the, the, the teaching of the Guru's experience may be very different from our experience because it becomes emotional and practical at the same time. What he teaches, we can adopt it, but our own experiences will always be very different from his. Absolutely. Absolutely. So to gain this knowledge and develop yourself, you have to get spiritual guidance because they don't teach this at school. Correct? If this was taught at school, none of you would be here. You would know this. So therefore you seek out a person who has this knowledge. You want to be a doctor, you learn from a master who has knowledge of medicine, who has practiced being a doctor, correct? So similarly, to become spiritual, 
You need to gain knowledge, guidance on how to become spiritual. With spiritual knowledge. This can be from a guru or a book. Yeah, the knowledge is there in a book or the gurus giving you the knowledge. What he's saying is you should not let the teacher's life interfere with his teachings. The teachings should be considered on its own merit. Am I able to understand what he is saying? Am I able to absorb and apply what he is saying? If not, you find someone else or you go to another book that does. So the problem is we become a slave to the spiritual leader and we get stuck. Rather than knowing what is teaching, you become attached to the guru. You grow the same size beard as the teacher. You eat the same food as the teacher. You try to imitate the teacher. You shave the, your hair off like a teacher. How's that going to make you spiritual? So he's saying you should not get involved with the guru's life and personality, his behavior. Just identify with the knowledge he's giving you and that's all. Spiritual practice is a subjective experience. You must take the knowledge, convert it to wisdom. Become introverted and find the self within. It's a process that only you can do. No one can do it for you. The guru will love the fact that you're attached, but it's not doing you any favors. Just take the knowledge, reflect on it, convert it to wisdom, and apply it in life. That's all you need to do. That's your relationship with the guru or the knowledge. If that process is not happening, then you're on the wrong path. Is that clear? Karmesh, is that clear? Because you can spend your whole life attached to a teacher and not develop. And they may even encourage you. But you have to use your own intellect to understand this is process. This is the goal. Only I can do it. The teacher can't do it for you. He can only give you the knowledge. What you do with it is up to you. Any questions? Megna. Pursuit of enlightenment does not envisage your enslavement to personalities and a blind following of their deeds and dogmas. You can attain the supreme state by delving deep into your personality layers and recognizing 
the divine core within. But the order of the day is that self-anointed preachers thrust their beliefs on ignorant people and bring about spiritual pauperism. When religious teaching is thus forced upon people, they, particularly the youth, reject it and take the opposite direction. Thus, none realizes that the truth lies within oneself and fails to pursue it subjectively. So these days, spiritual teachers force their beliefs upon ignorant people. They want people to follow them. You know how many followers I have? How many do you have? First, is that only that much? I'm following all over the world. This is teachers nowadays. They thrust their beliefs. Take it, like this is how it is. No other way. Only this will save you. This does not work. People who do not think, it works for them. People who think, they reject this. Especially the youth, because they're educated. Us elders are not all educated. Therefore, we accept it. But the minute you think, and you have an intellect to think, by the way, yeah, why not use it? The minute you start thinking, it doesn't make sense. Then you have to leave it. No one benefits. People lose the true sense of spirituality. And that's why the youth don't follow spiritual practices. Just do as I say, don't think about it. But guys, the person's got intellect to think. Why wouldn't he think about it? Why would he accept it blindly? It doesn't make sense. An ignorant person will accept it. So, it's your prerogative to think. Yep, Shilavan. I think it's also, once you stop questioning, it means you stop learning. So, it doesn't matter what your age is. If you keep questioning, then that's, you are willing to learn. So, I think that's very important. Yeah. So, when you question, you question because it doesn't make sense to you. You want an answer. Not question because you're testing the guru. That doesn't help you either. Yeah. You, you, you question genuinely because you don't you understand. Yeah, you want to try and understand the question, the, the, what they're trying to read to you or imply to you or... Absolutely. You yeah. should question everything. Yeah. Question everything. You want to develop intellect, question everything. Don't take anything for granted. You see, hundreds of years ago, they thought the world was flat. Anybody questioned it was executed. God said the world is flat. Later on, they found out the world was round. But you had to believe it. If you didn't, your life is at risk. This is how crazy it is. People thrust their beliefs on you. You have to accept it. If you don't, you're in trouble. So this is the problem. But now, 
we've all been to school, we all think we have an intellect, we should think about it. If it makes sense, you accept it. If it doesn't make sense, find out more. If it still doesn't make sense, then leave it. It's your life, your journey. Yeah, any clarifications? Is it clear, makes sense? Sushi? Good. Meghna. Two men were traveling in a cabin in a, well, in a railway train. One was a wealthy merchant, the other a thief. The merchant was carrying a lot of money with him, wads of currency notes. The thief knew it. In fact, he had booked his berth in the same compartment only to steal the money. The thief waited for the merchant to retire. To his surprise, the merchant openly removed the notes out of his bag and started counting them. The embarrassed thief left the compartment to go to the washroom. After he returned, the merchant went out, took his own time to wash and change. Meanwhile, the thief got busy and searched everywhere for the money. He could not find it. He knew for certain that the merchant did not carry it with him. How could it have disappeared? He could not sleep the whole night while the merchant slept peacefully. The next morning, they greeted each other. The thief could not contain himself any longer. He confessed his malicious intention to the merchant. And in admiration for his ingenuity, inquired, Sir, where did you keep that money? The merchant smiled and reached over, reached for the packet under a thief's pillow. This is the story of the human race. Everyone searches for bliss. Everyone searches for bliss all over, except where it is within oneself. This is what we're doing. Looking for peace and happiness where it is not. It is not in the world, it is within. It is how we relate to the world. You can make a heaven out of hell and hell out of heaven. It's your choice. The whole idea is to develop our intellect so that we can control our lives and direct it towards our goal. Whatever that goal is, material wealth or spiritual wealth. It's up to us. So the rest of the chapter now gives practical exercise on how to develop the intellect. Any questions on that story? Everyone understand it? Nilam? Good. Migna. So the need is to go within. Rehabilitate the inner personality. The human mechanism faces constant challenges in the world. The trial and tribulation, worry and anxiety, stress and strain of life. We need to pull out of this onslaught for an hour or so every day to regenerate your mind and intellect. Like a ship needs dry docking. A ship sailing in the high seas becomes corroded it needs periodic overhaul. 
so do your equipments require constant attention and correction to reach the final destination of life. For 60 to 90 minutes every morning, you must study scriptural literature, reflect upon it, contemplate on the truths therein, be consistent in your application. You'll find your intellect getting clearer, free from doubt and indecision, your mind becoming purer, free from agitation and sorrow. Follow this practice daily. You cannot afford to neglect it. Does not your room need changing, need cleaning every day? Does not your body require to be bathed? So do your mind and intellect need constant rehabilitation. There you go. I keep going on about it. Now we're telling you why. We're constantly faced with problems in the world causing anxiety and stress. We can overcome these problems by gaining this knowledge about life and developing the intellect. You do that, the result is you become more objective in life. This is the problem, we, we lose our objectivity. We already discussed why we should study between four and six. Why, anyone? Why four and six? Dharmesh? Because it's the clearest time of day for us. Yeah, sattvic time. Mind is still sleeping. So you can develop the intellect. It's available to you. As we need to, we bath every day, we clean our body. Why not rehabilitate the mind, the intellect, develop the intellect? That will be more useful to you than anything else. But you have to try it, only then you'll know. Scriptural study and reflection no doubt strengthens the intellect to prevent the mind from straying into likes and dislikes. Your mind keeps doing what it likes to do and avoiding what it dislikes. To live at the mercy of likes and dislikes is not healthy living. It would turn out detrimental to you. Your intellect must therefore control your activities. But the problem is that the intellect is not always available when the action is executed. After the action is completed, you realized, or you realize you have acted impulsively. There are many activities performed by you, which you yourself condemn as wrong. Have you not regretted at times your own actions? Then why do you do things which you realize later as wrongful? That is because your intellect was not available to you at the time. You acted, you have acted mechanically, impulsively. Therefore, the intellect has to be alert and available at the time of executing an action. This can be achieved by the practice of introspection. So in saying we need to study and reflect on spiritual texts every morning to strengthen our intellect. This will allow us to control the mind's likes and dislikes and become more objective. So you, you, can, you have control of your mind. 
We all behave based on our likes and dislikes. We act on what we like to do, not what we ought to do. I should wake up and study. But the mind says, no, not today. You have decided that it may be beneficial and that you should do it. But you yourself, the mind stops you. I will stay in bed for another hour. It's ludicrous. You set a program to go to the gym three times a week. And you don't. Who stops yourself? You. But you've made the plan. Sounds silly, doesn't it? If you've thought about it and made the plan and you can't stick to it. So this is where the intellect comes in. You make the plan, you stick by it, you have control over your actions. You're not going by your likes and dislikes. You're going by the decisions you've made for yourself. You, get, you take control of your life, basically. This is what you're saying. Right now, we act impulsively. See, wherever the likes is strong, we have no control. Wherever the likes is weak, we have control. Does that make sense? You, you love ice cream. You go buy an ice cream parlor, you can't stop yourself. You have to have some. Yeah. But you don't, you, don't, you don't like alcohol. You don't drink. So when you go past a pub, you have no, no issues. The like isn't that strong. Or you go past a cake shop, you don't like cakes. That, oh, yeah. Your friend says, come on, let's have a cake. Nah, don't fancy it. Let's carry on. But you go past an ice cream shop, your likes are stronger there. You have less control. This is how it works. So you think you're in control, but you're not. It's only in areas that the likes isn't strong, you're, you think you're in, that's where you, you're in control. Sometimes we act impulsively and then regret, regret our actions. I should not have said that to her. Why did I have a third helping of ice cream? It's too late, you already did the action. You can't take your words back from that person. You can't take out the third scoop of ice cream from yourself. So this happens because the intellect is not available to us before the action. The mind says, yes, I want it. And you just go and indulge. The intellect's sitting at the back doorman, taken hostage by the mind. Does that make sense? So in areas of strong likes, the intellect is helpless. So we need to develop the intellect so it's available to you for everything. Nothing wrong with doing any of those things, by the way. As long as it's sanctioned by the intellect and you're not doing it by the mind. Big difference. Is there any questions there? So it's going to give you a tool how and what you should do so then the intellect is available to you before the action. And it's quite a simple tool. Megna, if you don't mind reading it. Introspection is a process of self-observation to be practiced every night before you retire. It involves the recollection of your experiences during the day. Try and remember every experience you have gone through in a sequence 
from the time of rising to the moment of introspecting. In your initial attempts, you may not remember the details of what you have done, but with repeated practice, you will re recollect everything you have done, each and every activity. This exercise should not take you more than five to six minutes. While doing so, do not analyze or criticize your actions. You are only to be aware of them. Any form of involvement in the merit or demerit of, your, of the action would break the trend of introspection. Moreover, it may develop cynicism or frustra and frustration. When you remember an action over and over again, you become aware of it and constant recollection of daily actions would render your intellect alert. So this is a practical exercise that everyone can perform. It takes five or six minutes before you go to bed. It's called introspection. It's just a recalling and being aware of one's experience throughout the day. So just recollect, I woke up in the morning, brushed my teeth, went to the bathroom, made a cup of coffee, sat down to study, showered, got ready for work, had breakfast. You're just going through the process. That's all you have to do. But don't judge the experience. Don't get involved in anything. I said that to that person. Yeah. You just carry on. Don't get involved. Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Don't go into any of that. No, not, don't go into the merit or demerit of the action. Just go through the, the process until introspection. The last thought is, sat on my bed and introspected. And then you go to bed. What happens is that if you do that, in certain areas, your intellect will be available to you before the action. Your, your, intellect, your mind and intellect will remember, actually, I did this. I shouldn't have done it. And it will be available to you to make a decision then if you want to do it or not. It will make your intellect available to you before the action. This particular exercise is well known throughout the scriptures. It's not just done by this Swamiji in this book. I've, I've read about it in many other scriptures as well. If you practice that every day, every night before you go to bed, give it a few weeks and you'll start being a lot more alert before your actions. Any questions on that process? What if you forget? Um, if you forget, a, do not go back. If you forget something in the process, do not go backwards. Just keep going forwards. If you forget an incident, don't worry about it. Just keep moving forward. Don't go back and think, oh yes, and I also did that. No, just move forward. Just get into that practice, that habit. Try that. So if you forget something, that means it's irrelevant. It didn't matter. It wasn't a big deal. No, don't judge it. Demerit or merit. You just forgot. Just accept it that you forgot. Don't look any deep into it.
Why did I forget that? It was an import. You're missing the point now. Just go through the process of the day. That's it. Yeah, that's exactly what you shouldn't do. Just go through the process. That's it. It's a practical exercise. Like now. The exercise of introspection is akin to wall practice in the game of tennis. This means practicing strokes against a wall. A line is drawn on the wall at the same height as the regular net in a tennis court. The player places shots against the wall to gain proficiency in the game. A practice which helps him later in tournaments. Likewise, introspection helps you become aware of your life's activities and your intellect becomes available before the action to guide it in the proper direction. Continue to the end. Thus, spiritual study and reflection help you develop a strong intellect and a pure mind. While introspection enables your intellect to be alert, together, they render that your actions more objective, meaningful, purposeful. You get nearer and nearer the core of your personality. With such stability and objectivity, delve deeper into your personality. What you are looking for in life is bliss and bliss and bliss. Nothing less. You search for it in vain in the outside world, through your mind, your body, mind, and intellect. All bliss lies within you. Look for it here. You will find it. You will be absolutely fulfilled, enlightened. That's it. I lost my page. That's it. You're happy, peaceful. You can gain whatever you want in life. You enjoy life. And if you want to reach the goal of human life, enlightenment, you can also do that. It's all up to you. It's your life. You live it the way you want to. That's it. Any questions? So a lot to take in today. A lot of practical tips. And as we go deeper into this book now, it gets, it gets a lot deeper. Next, power, next chapter, the states of consciousness, waking, dream, and deep sleep. We go deeper into these states. Inception. We look at how Inception was made. We've ever seen the movie. Any questions on anything we've covered, general or today's class? You all had enough today. So it's got a question. Say. So you said um, that where the uh, desire is so strong you can't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. uh, but a weak desire, you might be able to change or avoid. So if 
the idea is to reduce my desires mm -hmm. in order to progress. Should I concentrate on thinking these relatively, these are my weak desires and therefore let me feel better and work on those and just eliminate them because they're still there, even though they're weak. Or should I work on thinking I was such a strong desire I really need to work on so reducing it. She's saying the idea of spiritual development is to reduce desires. So should she work on the weaker desires or the stronger desires? Because you said I wouldn't be able to do anything with the strong ones. I'm going to have to give in. That's what you said. Okay. Anybody have an answer to that? It's come back to me now. But you did say. Okay. She's saying, should she work on the weaker or the stronger desires? Any ideas? Ravi? It depends how they um, manifest um, the desires. So when you say, it, it, when, when does the weaker desire manifest and when does the stronger desire? You, I think it's individually you would go through, you know, if it's a weaker desire, it's easier to you know, resolve and dissolve and carry on. If it's a stronger desire, depending where you are in time to fulfill that or to overcome it. So I, I think it varies where you are at what stage and what particular moment that desire is present. It's a very good question, actually. I, th I think desires is also, does it make you happy? Is it taking you to the next level of uh, what you're desiring? Whether it could be negative or positive. So it's, it's up at that moment of a state of mind you are in that, you know, your desires, once it's fulfilled, are you happy with it? And can you just leave it there and move on to the next desire? Yeah. Okay. Anyone else? Well, she wants to become spiritually developed, so she wants to eliminate her desires, reduce her desires. Yeah. So it's also, but you have to experience it once to know what it feels like. She's experienced it a hundred times. Now what? It, you you continue. It's 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 like a, a rolling, like they say, call a rolling moss. The more you gather, the bigger the ball is going to become. Okay. Fair enough. Nilam? So, I think, um, I think for me, the way I'd, I'm going to try to approach it is actually just focusing on developing my intellect. So I love this idea of this exercise because I think once you start not labelling things and judging them, which is what this chapter we've been talking about, um, we're almost just witnessing and observing and kind of if we can build the intellect, then when the desire comes up, whether it's a strong desire or a weak desire, we might have more of a chance of not reacting like we did in the past. And then as, as we keep meeting the desires over and over and our intellect gets stronger and stronger and we're more able to deal with them and not necessarily react straight away and get carried away, then eventually I, I would anticipate that the desire would, the stronger desires would weaken potentially. So, see, where is your focus? What are you trying to achieve? This is, this is where you need to concentrate on. 
what is my goal? I want to lose weight. Then desire for cake comes up, even though it may be a strong one, which is the stronger desire, the desire to lose weight or to desire to have a cake? That's something your intellect has to decide. My, my desire is to develop spiritually. In my way, desires. So which one is stronger? The desire for spiritual development or the desire that's going to take you away from spiritual development? That's something you have to decide. Which, vasna, which desire should you work on? The one that's stopping you from taking you to your goal. We can't say work on this or work on that. That's up to you. What is your goal? Only you can decide that. What well, we said was well, the stronger likes are more difficult, not impossible. Any other questions? Great. Okay, if there's nothing else, we'll start the next chapter next week. As we go along, it gets more deeper and deeper, much more subjective. Then strong cups of coffee, yeah, before class. Be awake. So we'll have group discussion on Wednesday. Um, anything that we've covered today, if there's any queries, think about it. On the practical tips that's given there, or vasanas, human beings, vasanas, traits, nature, whatever, clear understanding, then we can take them up on Wednesday. And if you have any questions before that, just put it on the um, WhatsApp group and we'll um, then prioritize with that question first. Yeah. Everyone uh, watched the lecture last Sunday? Yeah, good. 93 years old, not bad. Eh? If we can even think of one concept at that age, we're doing well. Great. All right, everyone have a nice Sunday. Thank you. Thank you.